we are going to go ahead and uh, just get into the Word today. And a few weeks ago, uh, when I was able to preach, uh, we started to look at the letter of 1 John. And we dug into his introductory remarks. There were four verses right at the beginning of his letter that we just kind of looked at for a few moments. And he dives right into an incredible statement of faith in those verses. And without any greeting to his readers or any comments about himself, he recounts the certain and absolute truth about Jesus, the eternal Son of God who came to earth to dwell with mankind. And he came in a tangible way where he could be seen and he could be heard and he could be touched. And John writes this letter and proclaims these things because he earnestly desires that the believers, all believers, both then and now, would have fellowship with each other and that they would have fellowship with the Father and the Son. And he wants them to experience a full and complete and abundant joy as they go through daily life. Now today we're going to go ahead and look at the next few verses, verses 5 through 10 of 1 John chapter 1. And here John is going to begin to talk about how to have fellowship with the Father and to have full and complete joy. But before we get there, I want us to imagine the situation which John observes and why he is compelled to write this letter. So, to set the stage a little bit, envision it being the first century. Late in the first century, okay, we don't have any of this. There's no technology um, other than, you know, like chariots and, and things like that, okay? It's late in the first century, and it's been 50 to 60 years since Jesus had walked on the earth. Now, John is an elderly man, and maybe you can think of him as Grandpa John. Not to be confused with Papa John, because there's no pizza back then. It's going to be Grandpa John, and he's the sole remaining survivor of the apostles. All of his friends, all of his fellow disciples, have been killed for their faith. They were each tortured and, 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 and then ultimately killed. So as the remaining apostle, he feels a responsibility. He feels a compulsion to make sure that the believers continue to walk in the faith. Not some man-made version. It's not some concoction of truth. It is the real truth as Jesus himself revealed it while he was on earth. And the reason this is so important to John is that he's beginning to hear some heresies, some false teachings that are coming out and are beginning to grow and gain some traction within the church. And this obviously is a problem because if we have any distortion of the truth, then our faith begins to go askew, and it isn't where it needs to be. So he sees that some people have come into the church and that they have begun to teach false ideas about the person of Jesus and about sin and about sin's impact on a person's soul. These people who have come in have claimed to receive this special revelation, something that was in addition to what Jesus had already revealed, and their messages were causing people in the church to have doubts about their faith and to have doubts about their status in God's kingdom. Like, what am I really as a believer? What does that mean? So they're, they're starting to have doubts. So John recognizes that these false teachings need to be dealt with because they contradict the truth that had been revealed by Jesus, the Son of God. And after walking with Jesus, the man, and the Son of God, 
For over three years, John recalls the truth that Jesus had taught and that he had lived out in front of them. So 50 to 60 years later, John can now reaffirm the truth, the real truth, to the believers. So John sits down to write this letter to the believers within the church so that he can reassure the believers of the truth. And this truth can speak to their faith and their ongoing status in Christ. Because he's seeing that that they need that reminder. And I think it speaks to us as well about our faith and our status in Christ today. With everything else that swirls around us, sometimes we need that reassurance of of where we're at and what God is doing. And it is in addition to their faith and their and our status in Christ, John also desires to remind all of us of the basics of Christian living and the resulting certainties that we have as we walk with Christ. So here in first John verses or chapter one, verses five through ten. John continues to do that. So if you haven't turned there already, I encourage you to take your Bible or your Bible app. If you need to grab a Bible from uh, in front of you, please do that as well. And go to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. After his introduction about Jesus, the real person and the Son of God, and the fellowship and joy that we have because of him, John heads into the next truth that he wants to remind us of because he's concerned with helping his readers then and us today to grow in their relationship with Christ. So here's what John says. Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So John again cuts right to the chase And he plunges into the truth that he is compelled to convey to his readers. He says, listen up, everybody. This is the message that we got straight from Jesus. And we're going to declare it loud and clear so that everyone understands right from the start. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There may be different philosophies and there might be wild statements that are going around to the contrary. But here is the truth. God is light. There is not a speck of darkness with him at all. And with this as his starting point, I believe John is telling us that we must always start with God. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God, the message that we have of the gospel starts with God. It doesn't start with Mitch. It doesn't start with Henry or Sue or Lisa or Jeremiah. The truth upon which we as believers must stand starts with God. He is the core, and he must be the core. He must be at the center, the very foundation of all that we believe. He must be at the forefront of our lives. Everything should be revolving around him. He should be the center, and everything else in life should go all around him and relate to him. He would be the center, the linchpin that holds everything together. 
And this is the very foundation for us to have ongoing fellowship with him, with the Father and with Jesus. We need to place God at the center, pushing anything else, including ourselves, our desires, our wants, from that central place. And here's the deal. At least on paper, it's not that complicated. We simply need to start with God. Like, nothing else matters. It is all about God, and we need to have him at the center. And not only do we need to start with God, but we also need to start with the realization of who God is. Here, John declares that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. In essence, God is holy, he is righteous, he is pure, he is perfect, he is all that we could ever ask for. And, and, and we, we even fall short in that, so I'll say he is above and beyond that. He is pure and holy. There is not a sliver of darkness. There is not a smudge or a speck of impurity or evil with him. He is pure and holy 100%. John wants us not only to understand, but also to have as our foundation in life that God is light. There is no, let me repeat that, there is no darkness at all in him. And as believers, we have fellowship with God, this God who is perfect and holy and righteous in every way. And we never need to doubt that he is good. You can take that to the bank every moment of every day. God is good all the time. Amen? Amen. Now, Why does this matter? And a lot of us might be thinking, well, duh, yes, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But let's think about that for a moment because it's easy to say, but sometimes when life happens, we don't always actually live into that. So let's just say that I'm going through life and one day I am diagnosed with a disease or I have a financial crisis or whatever might be earth-shattering. Obviously, that affects my life. But if I don't have the narrative about God, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, oftentimes, I begin to blame him. I begin to cast things that are not true about him on him, and I have that belief that is no longer in alignment with who he really is. Without that truth as my foundation, I begin to question, why did God do that to me? How could he let that happen? Like, God is, God is supposed to be good, so how, how would he allow that to happen to me? And a lot of times, we can throw those types of situations or those comments out there. We can insert any situation. It can be something big like that. It can be something small. And those are the types of blaming questions that we begin to raise, right? Like we, and it is okay to question, but we need to make sure that our foundation is still set. Like, in spite of it all, Lord, you are good. And if we continue down that path of having those blaming questions or we start to attribute things to him that aren't true, we begin to have a little bit of a wedge a little crack, a little barrier that begins to come between us. That our fellowship with God is not as it's intended because we don't have that right framework in our minds to say God is good 
all the time, no matter what. Even though I am going through this, God is still good. Like, that's where we need to be, but by having a wrong narrative of God's character, we're not able to have that full fellowship with him anymore that John has talked about. And again, it is a full and beautiful fellowship that is available to us as believers. And John desperately desires that each one of us experiences this. That whether we're here, whether we're watching online, whether we're at work, we're doing our thing, God wants us to have, or John is expressing that he wants us to have fellowship with God in a powerful and beautiful way. So if our narrative is wrong, but by believing that God is not just or he's not holy, then we're unable to have that full fellowship with him. However, when we do start with that foundation, that God is light, it changes our perspective on these difficulties in our lives. Rather than blame God for the situation, we recognize that he is good, that there is no speck of evil in him at all, and I understand that what is happening to me is not the result of anything unworthy in God, for he is pure and holy and righteous and just and faithful. And he does not in any way act contrary to that. We will still not like the situation we're in. Like if we can avoid that, we would all like to do that, right? We'd like to not have the crises in our lives. But we will know that through it all, God is good. And that because he is good, we can invite him into the situation and he will help us through it. He will give us strength and joy and peace and perhaps he will provide the miracle that we need according to his perfect and just purposes. So John wants us to remember that in our fellowship with God, it always starts with him and the truth that he is light and in him is no darkness at all. He then moves to our part in having fellowship with God because in any type of relationship, there are two sides. And so John wants us to understand the truth not only about who God is, but he wants us to understand who we are. And this is accomplished when we allow God's light to shine on our lives. And in verses 6 through 10, John lays out five if-we statements. And he says these to help us assess where we are at as believers and hopefully to gain confidence about our status in Christ. He presents two incorrect or negative approaches, and he presents two proper or positive approaches to having ongoing fellowship with God. So let's look at the incorrect ones first. We like to go to the negative first, right? So, verse 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, again, think of fellowship as a relationship. And it can be pictured as two people walking together along a road or a path. They're just going through this situation together. They're going through, you know, they're on a journey together. And it's like a companionship. And as companions, we would have some things in common, right? Most of the time, we're not going to go ahead and do something, at least something that we enjoy, with someone that we don't really care for. So there's going to be someone that has qualities we admire and appreciate. So in this context, John notes that a person could say that he or she is a companion walking together with God. We, as believers, do get to claim that. Hey, I have fellowship with God. Now, 
he also points out that we should be able to see evidence that this is a true claim. Like, you can say that, but does your life back that up? And if this person continues to walk in darkness, then it really is a false claim. There is an incompatibility that's going on because remember, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So light and darkness don't go together. Like they, they kind of cancel each other out. Like darkness is the complete absence of light. So if there's any light at all, then they just don't go together. They cannot be in fellowship or companions together. Now, I want to make this very clear that walking in darkness as it's referred to here, represents a pattern of living. It's a lifestyle whereby a person walks in ways that are not aligned with God and his holiness. It implies that we have ongoing action or progress in a certain direction that, if we're walking in darkness, would be going away from what is the truth and what God is saying. Again, it's a lifestyle. It's not an occasional lapse. Even as believers, we will sin from time to time. I will be the first one at the line to say, yes. I sin from time to time. Not that I'm happy about it. Don't get, don't get me wrong there. I'm not happy, but I do stumble and fall. As a believer, we then need to take and confess those things to God. But walking in sin and darkness as a believer should not be our ongoing pattern of life. Like, we should not continue to go down that road. It should be, okay, I stumbled and fell. Now I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to start walking with God again. That should be kind of that normal pattern. So if we say that we are a believer and that we have fellowship with him, but we continue to walk in darkness in the ways that are contrary to what God would have for us, John says we're lying to ourselves and we're lying to other people. You know, nothing is worse than to be deceiving yourself, right? Like you're in this whole different figment of your imagination because, yeah, I have fellowship with God, but you're in a completely different track. You are nowhere near God. So that's one incorrect approach. Then in verse 8, John addresses another one, and he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, he echoes that by saying, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. In those two verses, John reminds believers about the nature within us that produces the acts of sin and those acts of sin that occur. Like, we continue to sin. This nature is a continual source of influence within us. And we can't deny that. Like, we need to just kind of own up to that, is what he's basically saying. Even as believers, we recognize that we still have sinful thoughts, sinful desires, sinful behaviors because of the sin nature that is still at work in us. And we unfortunately act out upon those thoughts and we commit acts of sin at times. We cannot deny that there's something in the depths of our beings that twist and pervert everything. So keep your finger here in 1 John, and if you can turn to Romans chapter 7. Because in Romans chapter 7, Paul writes about this very thing. It's this very idea that sin is still at work in our lives, even as believers. Let's read Romans 7, and we're going to start at verse 15. 
And here the Apostle Paul writes, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not want, or for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul expressed that sin still dwelt within him. He still struggled with sin. He still sinned occasionally. Think about that for a moment. The great Apostle Paul, the one who wrote 13 books in the New Testament, the one who traveled around and he planted churches and he preached and he saw many souls come to know the Lord in a powerful way. This same Paul struggled with sin. Even in his later days, he struggled with sin. And he freely admits that. I do not do what I want to do, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. He kept doing these things, not like he wanted to, but there was this sin nature that was at work in him that just sometimes it took over. And he, he did these things. And he admitted, like, I, I don't want to do it, but I do. I know that I feel that same way. Like, why did I just do that? Why did I respond that way? It's that sin nature in me that continues to wreak its ugly head and wreak havoc, right? And this is the, what the Apostle John is echoing here also. He says that we cannot deny the sin nature still at work in us. We need to recognize it. We need to be aware of it. And recognizing our sin nature and the sins that we have committed are part of the step in having fellowship with God. Otherwise, we are deceiving ourselves. And worse yet, in verse 10, he says that we're making God out to be a liar. That we're saying that what he has said in his word about Jesus, about sin, about our lives here on earth, all of that is not true. Is basically what we're saying. If we say, no, I'm not sinned. I just, you know, I make mistakes once in a while, or I'm not perfect, but I haven't, I haven't sinned. It's not a big deal. John is saying, no, we need, don't take that approach. We need to own up to it. So we've seen the two negative or improper approaches that John says that we ought not to take. Now let's take a look at how we can properly have ongoing fellowship with God. And again, for John, I just want to continue to emphasize this. He wants to convey that having fellowship with God is of utmost importance. So he writes in verse 7, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Earlier we said that walking in darkness represented a pattern of living, and the same is true here. Walking in the light represents an ongoing lifestyle as believers. Essentially, we get to choose which realm, which kingdom we want to walk in. We can either walk in the kingdom of darkness or we can walk in the kingdom of light. We get to have that choice. And 
as a believer, I hope that we're all going to be making that choice that we want to walk in the light. If we want to have fellowship with him, we must be in the light. If we want to have that great fellowship that John is talking about, we need to walk in the light. Light and darkness do not have fellowship with each other. They just, they just can't come together. So as believers, as ones who have believed in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and what he has done on our behalf, we have been brought out of darkness and into the light. Colossians 1.13 says it like this. It says, He has delivered us from the domain, the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Even though we were unworthy in our sin, Jesus Christ came and made the way. And now he has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. And we, through faith and repentance, can grab hold of that, that movement into that new kingdom. So as a result, we ought to walk in the light. To maintain fellowship with God, we walk in alignment with his character and his ways. Now, again, we don't do this perfectly, but we're going to do everything that we can to keep walking in the light, to make that a pattern of of our lives. Our aim is set on living in a way that is worthy of one who has been brought into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Our actions, our attitude, our lifestyle, All of these should prove out what we believe and the status we have as children of God. Now, how do we do that? How do we walk in the light? Well, we need to allow God's light, because remember, God is light, so we need to allow his light to shine upon our lives. Grab a hold of your Bible for a second and hold it up in the air for a moment. If it's your phone or tablet, go ahead, raise it up. If you're at home, do the same thing, raise it up, okay? One of the best ways that I know is to have his word shine his light on my life. To let the light of his word shine in my life. As I read his word, I see and I begin to understand his ways. I begin to understand his character. I begin to understand just his thought processes and his heart and his love. And as I think on those things, I begin to see where I don't measure up quite yet. And sometimes that's an ouch moment. And sometimes that's that, okay, I'm not measuring up, but I want to. Like, that's exciting because I want to be able to to walk in this way. Because the truth is I do fall short. But as I want to walk in the light, as he is in the light, I allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me about those areas that he is pointing out. And I then begin to work on those areas. I start to take some effort. Not because I have to, but because I want to. I want to have that fellowship with God. So I hold myself up to the light of his word, and I essentially, essentially say, show me the right way. Show me what I am doing wrong or how I need to be better. Now, we have a laundry area in our basement. Okay, I don't know about you. Maybe yours is the same. Like most basements, ours is a little bit dimly lit. It's kind of dim, but we have in our laundry area, we've got this nice fluorescent tube fixture. It does great. It lights up the area so that we can see what we need to do. Now, especially in this day and age, this becomes important because I'm getting a little older, and obviously I have glasses, so I need some assistance. Um, But every single piece of clothing that we have seems to have a different way that it needs to be washed and dried. 
So you got to read the tags all the time. Now, there are some that I've learned the right way over time. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, that's just in the white load. It can go in the normal. Or, oh, this is white. It needs to be in the delicate cycle. Or, oh, this needs to be dried this way. You know, and so we read the tags over and over again. Well, at least I do. Maybe everyone else has the great memory that way. But because I'm getting older and because some tags are slightly faded, so that doesn't help either, I can't always read them clearly. So a lot of times I'm over here and the light's over here, so I need to bring it over to the light so that I can see what I need to do. And sometimes I'm still like, yeah, I still can't read that, so we're guessing. Um, So sorry, family, if the clothes are not quite right. But if I get closer to the light, I can clearly most often read that the correct method for that piece of clothing is to do this. And I can make sure that I handle it properly. And in a similar way, as we dig into the word of God, as we allow our lives to have the light shine up to us, we then can help ourselves see what we're doing well, maybe expose our sin and that we need to repent of that, and we need to go a different way. But we allow the Holy Spirit to continue the work in us. And I understand that his word can then be a guide for a proper lifestyle as a believer. You know, because sometimes we need to have that light shown in our lives so that we can see things. You know, sometimes, you know, if we're, we have a light, and if it's a bright light, there's usually a shadow that's cast. Sometimes that shadow can show some things that you're like, hmm, didn't know that was there. Um, But when we allow the light to shine upon us, we begin to see those things that we don't normally see. And that's what John's really trying to express to us here. Like, let God's light shine on us. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Then in verse 9, he goes on to say that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Rather than denying our sins or the sin nature within us, which was something that he said in verses 8 and 10, don't do, John says, guys, confess them. Bring them before the Lord. Admit them in humility and honesty and just repent. As we allow God to shine his light on our lives, the Holy Spirit will point out those things that we have committed, that we have done wrong, and we should recognize them. We should take that, in a sense, as a gift. That Thank you, God, that you would show me what I'm doing wrong and that you're trying to help me do better. And we take those things and we then admit them and we confess them in detail to God. As an individual, I come before God in a humble and honest way, facing up to the things that I've done, and I confess those things to him. And here's the deal. Notice that it doesn't say that I need to confess these things to another person. It says, confess our sins and that he is faithful and just. Like the, the idea is that we confess our sins to God. Now, it can be helpful at times to confess to someone else, and that can be very good. But he's saying, confess to God And come before him, admit to him. He's the one that you're trying to have the fellowship with. And as you can get rid of that sin and and, and confess and repent, then your fellowship begins to come intact again. 
And that's what John's really trying to point out. So that when we confess our sin and we repent to God, we come into agreement with him about our sin. We recognize, yes, there is a sin problem. And that, Lord, today I'm coming here and I'm dealing with it. So whether it's the first time that you've ever done it, or you've done it many times and now it is a course of life that I'm going to do this because I don't want anything to come in between me and the Lord and having fellowship with him. So I come to deal with my sin through the blood of Jesus. And we admit that what we have done is sin. And we ask for his divine and complete forgiveness based on what Jesus has already accomplished on the cross for us. And through this confession, we then can enjoy ongoing fellowship with him. And here's the beautiful part of all this. As we walk in the light and as we confess our sins when we do sin, God does what only he can do. We have this as our assurance. We have this certainty in our lives that we can stand on, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Verse 7 tells us that. He cleanses us from all sin, and it keeps on doing so. His blood continues to cleanse us day after day after day after day. That is the assurance that we have as believers, that he again is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we walk in the light and confess our sins, God will apply the blood of Jesus He will take the provision that he made on the cross at Calvary and he applies the blood to our confessed sin. The sin that we bring before him and we say, God, I screwed up. And he then takes it. And God, through Jesus Christ, does the justifying, redeeming work in our lives. Praise the Lord. Amen. So remember, God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. He is pure. He is perfect. He is holy. And there is no speck of darkness or evil at him with all. At all with him. Because he is light, he invites us to then walk with him in the light. Picture that. He's just calling to you. Even now where you're sitting, he says, come, walk with me in the light. Pattern your lives according to to my ways. And if you stumble or fall, even as believers, you and I can come before him and we can confess our sin. And we can know this certainty that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and he continues to cleanse us over and over again in an ongoing, continual way. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we thank you that you are light and that in you there is no darkness at all. That there is nothing that is evil or improper with you. Thank you that you are holy and perfect, that you are pure and just and faithful. And Lord, thank you for inviting us into fellowship with you as your children. You invite us to walk in the light, in your light, walking in step with you and your ways. 
And you remind us that we can come before you and confess our sins openly and honestly. You know that we're not perfect. You know that we will never be perfect. But you continue to call to us and say, just walk in the light. Walk with me to have fellowship with you. So help us, Lord. Help each one of us to continue to take steps to walk in the light and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Open our spiritual eyes and ears that we may see and hear what you're wanting to show us so that we can grow in you and continue to have fellowship with you. And Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves and with you as you reveal things to us. That we would begin or continue to confess and admit these things to you. These sins, these things that we have done against you. And then we can have the certainty and the assurance that you cleanse us from all sin in an ongoing way. Lord, we want to be children of the light. As believers who, who follow you, we want to have fellowship with you. Not just in what we say, but Lord, we want to be walking with you so that our lives are backing that up. And we thank you that you continue to guide us and lead us and shape us. So Lord, we just thank you that you are good all the time and that we can continually put our trust in you. Praise your name. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you're so good to each one of us. So in a moment, we're going to open up the altars. If you, if you want to spend some time just praying and just talking with the Lord, but maybe it's about what uh, we've talked about today or, or maybe there are other things that are on your mind, I'm here to pray with you if you'd like. Um, otherwise, uh, enjoy some time out in, in the uh, cafe honoring Ray. But before we dismiss, let me pray this benediction over you, the one that Aaron prayed. He said, the Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now go in God's grace. Have a great day and a wonderful week. God bless you.